BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. On today's show, on today's show, we have a nice mailbag uh, ranging from questions about the future of the TNT title to a question about me, actually. Uh, We also have a really nice piece of music for you all this week, and as always... Your weekly dynamite preview. Uh, so all of that and more coming up in a minute. Welcome in, wrestling fans, and you're listening to The Next Pillar, your AEW podcast, where each and every week we'll be bringing you a blend of entertainment and insight inspired by the latest goings-on in All Elite Wrestling. So to start off, uh, we're going to start off with listener mail again. That's just how the show's going to run now, just so you all know. Um, and great job again, you know. I was even super stoked to see, uh, you know, two or three of you who you know, have been writing in almost every week or in a couple cases every week. Um, and that's just awesome, you know, just because, you know, we're here, this is episode seven and to already feel like, you know, I have like a crowd of people that I can count on for the mailbag is just, uh, it's really exciting for me. You know, I'll just be honest. Um, and I really do appreciate it. And if you'd like to be a part of things, that's uh, just nextpillarawcom We have a mailbag form on there that you can use. That's the easiest way. Or you can email us, aw, or sorry, nextpillarawcom at gmail.com. So, you know, to riff on Cody Rhodes here a bit, the, you know, your AEW podcast thing is meant to be more than just a tagline. I've always wanted this show to feel more like a conversation, you know, than just sitting here and listening to someone talk. Uh, and so for me, you know, to have just this great mailbag uh, it allows me to fulfill that vision, and so I'm very appreciative for that. Uh, the reason why I'm mentioning that, though, 
is that I did have a couple of listeners email in about the thing uh, with the ringer that I talked about last week. Um, and someone in the discord, you know, referred to it as a, as a burial, uh, which if you thought that was a burial, I've, I've got something for you here, uh, where I could tell just by the feedback that I got that I did not explain the issues that I have with the ringer sufficiently. And so I did want to take the opportunity today, uh, to sort of put a bow on this topic, so to speak, or I don't know, maybe we're putting a pin in it. I don't know what we're putting on or in it, but. I'm going to talk about this, uh, you know, to explain myself sufficiently. And I know, or at least I think, um, you know, I get a lot of positive feedback about just the overall positive tone of the show. And since I know that that's something that folks appreciate, I don't want to ruin that by talking about this subject too much. So in that interest, you know, just of... I don't, you know, I don't want to bum anyone out, <laughs> you know, if they enjoy this show for being positive, they, you know, and you don't want to hear me rant for 20 minutes about this stuff with the ringer. Uh, I will have a note, uh, in this, in the show notes, I'll have some timestamps just so that you can see, but I do want to be sensitive about that just because, you know, I have podcasts that I listen to for certain things and sometimes it's a little jarring for me, you know, if they just spend 20 minutes doing something I'm not used to, I want to be able, you know, to have you guys you know, kind of count on what you're getting each and every week to an extent, except with the music stuff. <laughs> That's always going to be curveballs. Uh, and speaking of which, you know, before I get into this discussion of the ringer, uh, I did want to bring you guys just in that spirit, something uh, a little bit more palatable. Oh, 
All right. Somebody grab their PS2 because here comes the pain. Uh, so I had a couple of, I guess, criticisms about that uh, segment that I was referring to last week, uh, just my kind of takedown of the ringer. Uh, and I wanted to respond to that just to make sure that I'm being clear about things. I think it's important. I think this issue is important, so I want to make sure that I've explained it sufficiently. One of these emails that I received about this topic was literally just a screenshot of the NBA on ESPN logo, which, number one, is you can give me a little bit more than that. Uh, number two, that's really not the analogy to use because, of course, of course, I'm aware of these partnerships that organizations like ESPN have with the NBA. I'm not saying that any involvement between a media entity and a sports league or a sports team is somehow inherently problematic. I'm referring to a particular situation, this particular situation of uh, the ringer, you know, which presents itself as a journalism entity. Like they present themselves as like a, a legitimate news site. Uh, you know, they have these entrenched relationships with Spotify first. And now, you know, if you're listening to the ringer wrestling podcast, you're listening to an entity that is in partnership with two corporations. Uh, and if you want to have a partnership with corporations, that's fine. But if the two that you're going to pick are Spotify and the WWE, well, I'm going to have a little bit to say about that. So to pull back here, you know, just because before I get into this, though, the other issue with the NBA on ESPN analogy, I guess, is that there is no other basketball association in America. You know, realistically, if there was a basketball league that was outselling the NBA in certain markets and was also like approaching the NBA in ratings, particularly in the 18 to 34 demo, then of course a lot of these entities would have other basketball league podcasts. Uh, so that analogy does not really hold weight for me. Uh, but to pull back, because the other email I got was, it was more or less like a what's a big deal type of thing. And I should say that like both of these arguments against what I was saying strike me as like both sides-isms, which, you know, are very common in online discourse these days, but not things that I really want to take seriously. Uh, but what I did realize is that just based on these emails is that I did not do a good job of explaining myself. And so I wanted to flesh this out a little bit more. So the situation here is that The Ringer, you know, a culture site, a news site, a sports site, uh, it's a lot of different things. And it's one that's really quite popular in this exact same advertising demo that you hear everyone talk about every week, this 18 to 34 demo. And I'm sure that's a big part of this deal in the first place, you know, why WWE would partnership with a media organization like this. You know, again, we're getting into some very serious efforts on part of WWE to shape cultural conversations. You look at how popular those music box documentaries are. You know, they were on HBO and they were also produced by The Ringer. And you know that overall, that Dark Side of the Ring documentary series has been nothing but a headache for the WWE. It's been a PR disaster at times. And you know they would love to have a series of their own, like a document, a music box but wrestling of their own where they're able to control the narrative and 
No, that's not a Braun Strowman reference. Uh, and according to reports, and you know, I've heard David Shoemaker, who runs the Ring of Wrestling, uh, I don't even know what to call it, but he seems like the editor of the wrestling section of the Ringer or whatever. Um, he even said this as much, you know, that they're part of this relationship between WWE and the Ringer is so they're able to make a documentary series. Uh, and so to be direct here, my objection with this situation is that this seems like an obvious case of a company that's like recently rich with Saudi blood money. And it makes you wonder, like, did they do elimination chamber in Saudi Arabia so that they could leave the structure behind for the Saudi government to put journalists in? Uh, Cause that would be a nice parting gift, you know? Although I will say Vince strikes me as more of like an edible arrangements kind of guy, you know, edible arrangements, you know, like he's like, Oh God, dear. just look at that pineapple and they got a grape that they cut in half that's in the middle of it. It looks just like a sunflower. But uh, <laughs> this is obviously their attempt, you know, the WWE to try to exert some control over these kinds of like cultural conversations. This same thing, you know, has happened to a lot of other sites as well. You know, everyone kind of watched you know, after ESPN launched Grantland and they can see, you know, that there's a lot of traffic that can be generated where, you know, you have this like bro intellectual dude. And let's say like he listens to the ringer, like basketball podcast. Maybe he likes that guy that said that Killian Hayes was going to be the best player in the 2020 draft. I don't know. And maybe when he's there, you know, he clicks on that music tab so that when he's on a date, he can be like, yeah, you know, I was, uh, I heard this really interesting thing on uh, snail mail on the ringer. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know why my bro guy sounds like snake from the Simpsons, but you see what I'm saying here where on one hand, it is easy to just say, okay, well, this site is, you know, problematic or stupid or what have you, but who cares? Uh, this stuff does matter. Because sites like this, they do drive conversations, especially in this 18 to 34 demo that we're talking about. So, yeah, I mean, I know none of us listen to these like shitty ringer podcasts, but unfortunately, these sort of cross platform, cross subject sites really do shape conversations. Like someone out there, like you think about someone who hasn't watched wrestling in years, but they see like a WrestleMania commercial, or maybe they see something about this Cody Rhodes thing on Twitter. They'll go to these companies that they're already getting their news and information from, like The Ringer. They'll click on that wrestling tab, and what will they find? Well, for starters, since signing that deal with WWE, uh, The Ringer used to only have one wrestling podcast, and that was David Shoemaker's show, uh, The Masked Man, which for most of its life has been an extremely enjoyable show for me. I've really been a fan. I must say, uh, I know his book is somewhat controversial, but like I've always loved the Mass Man show up until, you know, pretty recently. The other two shows on the Ringer network that they've added since signing the deal with, with WWE, uh, both shows have, like, I don't even think they try to hide the like WWE bias. All three Ringer Wrestling podcasts have people who either currently work for or used to work with the WWE on staff. Uh, so guaranteed on all of these shows, at least one person is either currently being paid by WWE or 
from what I can tell, very obviously want to be paid again by WWE, which is often how it's a revolving door is often how media works. You, I talk about, I know I, I probably reference the NBA too much, but that's just kind of, it's one of my other really big interests. And uh, it really does. The revolving door thing is, you know, just as endemic in the NBA as it is in WWE and these ringer podcasts. But I did just want to mention it because uh, I don't think that's something that they disclose enough just when you like by happenstance pop in and listen to one of these things. Um, it's been pretty clear with me, you know, even with David's show, The Masked Man, that I've been a huge fan of, uh, that this WWE partnership has had an effect on the editorial content of the show. And I say that as a longtime listener, you know, again, uh, I'm, I've been a fan specifically of David Shoemaker. Uh, I want to be transparent here. Uh, I've been a fan of his for years, especially his show, which is called The Press Box, uh, which is like a media criticism show. And it's really doing a certain type of media commentary that no one else is really doing. And so that's a big reason why this whole thing bums me out. Um, because I've been a huge fan of that show. I've even like sent links to certain episodes of that show to my friends who I know are also kind of interested in this sort of stuff. And look, you know, my recommendation is not something that I ever give lightly. Like if I'm on here, like last week, talking to you guys about the sweet tea, lightning mountain dew only available on KFC in the fountain. And I'm saying it's good. It's because of two things. Number one, I actually think it's good. And number two, I've done the research. So last week, you know, I was on here saying uh, that David, I compared David to uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, which was way too far, obviously. Uh, The person that David ends up being kind of in this network of podcasts uh, actually reminds me of Alan Combs, which I know I dated myself on here when I made that. John Stewart on Crossfire reference, and I know this is doing something similar. Uh, but look up Alan Combs. Uh, Hannity on Fox. Fox used to actually pretend that they were a legitimate news organization. And it used to be Hannity and Combs, where you'd have uh, Sean Hannity, and you'd have this guy, Alan Combs, who is just like the most mealy mouth person imaginable. And of course, people like this are brought into organizations to give the appearance of journalistic integrity. I should also mention just that his co-host, um, Kaz, who, you know, seems like a really nice dude um, and actually does a really good job. I know he does a lot of stuff with the Knicks that I've just kind of happened to stumble into. But he's re- <laughs> he really irks me uh, and always has, frankly, because uh, his approach to, like, every show seems to be like, all right, so... This is the week that I'm finally going to say something nice enough about the right person, and I'm going to get an email with the job offer. Uh, It's very obvious that he's, like, trying to work in WWE again to me. Um, He once said one of the dumbest things I've ever heard on a podcast. Uh, Actually, not even just on a podcast. You may remember that Punk MJF segment when John Cena was brought up and everybody uh, booed, you know, in the crowd. Uh, This guy, Kaz, was, like, so upset about it and claimed that fans were only booing John Cena because they were upset and jealous that he did movies, Uh, which is just ridiculous. 
I mean, so like back in 2003, you know, when The Rock was doing that like Hollywood rock character, people were mad at the when at The Rock when he left because people wanted to watch The Rock on TV and they missed him. Uh, when John Cena, you know, did movies back in the day, that was during a time when no one missed John Cena when he was not on TV. Uh, and no one was booing John Cena because, you know, they don't want wrestlers to be able to do movies and TV shows and whatever else. Everyone was booing John Cena because John Cena, more than anyone else, represents that moment when the WWE went from not really caring about what fans want to where they are now, where like Vince would literally not piss on his fans if they were on fire. Quite literally, if you see what happened with that melting WrestleMania sign. Uh, and if you don't believe me, just listen for yourself. The last episode that they did, uh, the opening segment was 30 minutes about just how great this Cody Rhodes signing is going to be for the WWE. And as a longtime listener, I will tell you, I cannot remember them talking about Cody Rhodes for more than a minute on any of their past shows. Uh, and it's like, yeah, the day he signs with WWE, of course, there's a 30 minute segment talking about how great Cody Rhodes is. They even spent 10 minutes putting over that stupid shoot promo that he did that every, you know, that all of us laughed at because it was so grandiose. Remember that one? They spent like 10 minutes talking, putting it over and talking about how great it was. And of course, you know, I went back and looked to the Ring of Wrestling show that happened directly after Cody did that promo. And what did they talk about on that show? Did they talk about that promo? No, the entire show just focused on the WWE. Like, I understand if this seems like I'm like nitpicking, uh, but I've, I heard David on the Bill Simmons show a couple weeks ago uh, say that Cody Rhodes left the WWE because... He wanted to follow in his father's footsteps and wrestle in different territories. Now, this is a guy, and believe me, I'm very familiar with his entrance music, as you guys probably realize. This is a guy whose entrance music talks about how bitter he is with the WWE when he left. His entrance music. So the reason why this kind of stuff pisses me off is because I know that these guys are not this stupid. David Shoemaker wrote a book about wrestling. He knows Cody Rhodes leaving the WWE was not him wanting to like be an old school territory guy or whatever. He left the WWE because the WWE is a terrible company to work for. And on the same episode that I'm talking about, they compared Cody Rhodes debuting in WWE to Punk's arrival in AEW in terms of the significance. They also compared it to his dad going to the WWE in terms of significance. Like, I'm not even talking about, like, there are some, you know, some similarities you could draw, but not in terms of significance. Uh, and if you look at all their podcasts, it's very obvious, you know, that The Ringer is very much in the business of woke washing and astroturfing. And speaking of Bill Simmons, maybe some of you who are writing in, you know, on a weekly basis to the show, maybe I should just start paying you and making you co-hosts. And then, you know, I can have you on the show and you could spend the whole time laughing at my jokes nervously, like the Bill Simmons show. 
I mean, I get it. This is a guy who actually had Lena Dunham on his show and called her a genius. But Jesus Christ, there's this like poor guy. I think his name is like Waz or something. And there are times where he sounds like he's going to give himself a hernia from fake laughing at Bill's jokes. I swear to God. I saw a link to a basketball podcast that this poor guy was on that was five hours long. Like I was talking last week, uh, you know, about the Bill Simmons subreddit and just how much his own fan base hates him. I just refreshed it just now. First thread, literally first thread that I see here on this Reddit. When did Bill Simmons lose his fastball? Like his fan base is already at this like Simpsons WWE point that I talked last about last week where, you know, the argument in a fan base becomes, okay, so we can all agree that this thing that we used to like totally sucks now. That's agreed upon. But when did it actually start to suck? And when you're at that point, you're done. You're gone. And I know that some of his handlers are probably aware of this. Uh, you know, again, this is the guy that could not be more obvious that he does not actually watch full basketball games again when you listen to his three-hour basketball podcasts. Uh, it's a kind of cynicism of, I know no one is going to actually call me on this, that, frankly, I find sickening, you know? And maybe that's why, you know, Bill Simmons was, oh, yeah, Vince McMahon wants to give us some of that, like, Saudi blood money? Uh, and, you know, I'm sure he thought, you know, it's just wrestling. I'm sure we'll get away with it. You know, wrestling's not a sport. It's it's not really, uh, you know, a form of, like, entertainment in the same way that, like, movies and music are. Uh, it's kind of its own thing. And so maybe, because I've, you know, beyond the Spotify partnership, they don't have these kind of branded partnership with any other companies that I'm aware of. And I think it's because they thought with wrestling, you know, we'll just be able to get away with it because it's wrestling, you know, it's fake, right? It's just, it's a particular form of cynicism when you approach something with the attitude of, so I know this thing that I'm doing is like super shady uh, from an ethical standpoint, but I doubt anyone will call me on it. And if they do, uh, you know, I can just pull like a, hey, well, you know, both sides do it or like, hey, AEW did some bad things too. Or like, hey, look at all these other like meaningful, great and woke things that we've done. Uh, yeah, look at those. Don't look at this other stuff. And from where I sit, you know, the Kazes or the Jack Farmers you may have seen. Uh, and I know that Joe and Rich on Flagship talked about this too. But this tweet from Jack Farmer, who is uh, on that which one the Mac mania show is the one that he's on. Uh, he actually tweeted the rhetorical question of, is this title reign by Roman reigns, the best title reign ever when you consider the people he's beaten and the way that he beat them. Like SummerSlam was like six months ago, dude, like Finn Balor says, what's up, man? Like, are you serious? You know, as long as you make the right overtures, nobody will call you out. If you know, when it really counts, you're just a corporate lapdog. It reminds me, um, I, and I did want to tell this story. Uh, I'll explain why later. Uh, it reminds me, back when I was doing music stuff, there was this person who would leave negative comments or subtweets or messages, and this person would 
comment or message or subtweet. Uh, basically, any time uh, you know any of us announced, these people think that as long as you make the right overtures, nobody will call you out on being a corporate lapdog when it really counts. Uh, it reminds me, this kind of hypocrisy uh, actually reminds me of uh, someone I dealt with a lot in when I was doing music stuff, and I wanted to talk about this for reasons that I'll explain later. Um, but, you know, I was running the label. Part of my role, you know, was to set up shows in town, you know, to promote our releases. And, uh, and I know that from talking to lots of other people that book shows that I was not the only one that experienced, uh, this person literally anytime that you would announce a show that was 21 and over, not to get into the weeds too much, but in Oregon, our um, Liquor Control Commission makes it very difficult to have all ages shows because of state laws that were passed a long time ago. Um, and so it's harder to have all ages accessible shows here than it is in, well, most other states actually, which might surprise many of you listening, knowing, you know, <laughs> Oregon is kind of known as being pretty progressive, you know, especially with our, uh, you know, beer and weed and whatnot. It's very odd, you know, that we uh, are one of the worst states when it terms to when it comes to, uh, you know, people being able to see live music if they're under 21. Uh, and so this person would always post these negative comments and they always really bothered me. Uh, not just, not because I was like indignant or something, but because I knew she was right. And I was, I would always get really bummed out and like, oh yeah, you know what? I really should do more to like advocate for more all ages shows. And maybe I'll send this person an email. And, uh, overall I thought it was positive, but the thing that's funny is that of course, when this person turns 21, it's like you never hear anything at all about all ages advocacy ever again. And yeah, this person now has a corporate job where they tweet things about like, oh, I'm just so honored to be working for this brand. And it's like, wait, what happened to the person who is out here trying to like out punk and outwoke everyone in the punk scene? You know, this is the same person who once said, uh, this is the same person uh, that sent me a message about how I was problematic because I made a tweet about how I was upset about uh, this thing that happened a few years ago where everyone started using the word downfall incorrectly. Um, like if you would be like, well, the downfall of buying this car would be that uh, our car payment would go up when it's like you actually mean downside. I don't know why this happened. <laughs> it's, especially endemic in YouTube. Uh, but a lot of people use the word downfall when they actually mean uh, downside. And this person sent me an extremely angry message about this, uh, talking about how problematic I was when, like, look, this was not a case of, like, using the wrong kind of there or, like, me telling, like, telling someone to use proper English or me saying that people shouldn't use A-A-V-E or something like that. This was a case of the word downfall means something. The word downside means something else. It's not the same thing. You're using that word incorrectly. Uh, and I wanted to mention that just because this same email who was kind of like, what's the big deal about this ringer thing? Um, send me a, it was like a weird warning about how my audience might not be as woke as I am. And so, which incidentally, I actually don't think that's true at all uh, in terms of my audience. And uh, the other point um, being just that uh, 
you know, even if you do, if you're listening and you do think I'm like overly woke, uh, or if you think I've ever said anything on this show that's like too woke, uh, holy shit. So thank you guys for sticking with me through that little diatribe there. Um, again, this won't be a regular part of the show, uh, and it very much did kind of cut into the usual uh, Dynamite preview that I do. Uh, so I apologize to anyone that uh, watches the show on Wednesday and looks forward to that. Uh, good news, though. Uh, I'm back here, ready to uh, celebrate here. The margarita on the rocks. Of course. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday and you're like, wow, I don't get a dynamite preview and I didn't know it was National Margarita Day yesterday. Uh, I'm really sorry. And you know what they say? It's it's always Tuesday somewhere. Uh, so going back into the mailbag, um, had another uh, email this week uh, from VJ, just a very insightful uh, question which is just uh, what would have happened with Sammy Guevara and the TNT title uh, had Cody re-signed with AEW. Uh, and a bit about here, uh, just with Sammy, uh, personally found his push had many starts and stops, and it was constantly affected by whatever inner circle stuff was going on. Uh, and then one day, uh, he just randomly won the title from Miro. Uh, and VJ, uh, that's exactly uh, my assessment of the way that AEW booked Sammy, you know, prior to that first TNT title win. Uh, and it does make you wonder just like the machinations behind the scene uh, in regards to that. Uh, in terms of, you know, what would have happened uh, with Cody and AEW had he re-signed, uh, that's not something that, well, I personally haven't seen any reportage uh, about any of that stuff uh, in terms of, you know, if he had re-signed or, or what might have happened with the title. Uh I guess my reading of the situation, uh, and again, I haven't seen any reportage of this, is just towards the end of that run of Cody and Brandy in AEW, they did offer, you know, kind of this uh, kind of carrot in, you know, hey, we'll book Brandy in this feud with Paige Van Zant, who everyone has been, you know, really excited to like potentially debut against. And we'll give Cody this TNT title run. Um, that's my assessment of it. And, uh, you know, I have seen a lot of reporting, you know, just that these negotiations had been going on for, you know, six weeks is what I think I saw. Um, 
for those of us, you know, we can also assume uh, that kind of soft negotiations had probably been going on for a lot longer, you know, in terms of just Cody and Brandy bringing things to Tony's attention that he, that they were unhappy about and him, you know, placating him, them in various ways. Uh, so, you know, from that side of things, I think that, you know, absolutely you look back on some of these things like, uh, like that third Malachi black match that he needed to go over in, um, with the tiger driver. And there's a couple other things where you wonder, like if this was just like in a vacuum, you know, would Tony Khan want this on TV or not? Like, I don't know, uh, frankly. And it did seem even at the time, like, Oh, this is like Cody's doing Cody's doing Cody's stuff today. And, um, and I also do want to be clear that I really do like Cody Rhodes and I really am going to miss him on programming, frankly, uh, in, terms of an in-ring an in-ring standpoint uh one of my favorite performers in the company frankly uh so i'm absolutely going to miss cody um i do feel like uh <laughs> it's very obvious though that there's yeah a lot of folks out there that kind of are you know wanting to make a bigger deal out of his absence uh than is necessary i guess uh cuz for me you know i didn't come away from that last episode of dynamite really missing cody rhodes at all um, you know, I do feel like when I'm watching the next pay-per-view, uh, I might miss Cody Rhodes on that, but I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm missing Cody Rhodes yet where, you know, there are many AEW performers at this point where their absence would mean a lot more, uh, just off the bat immediately. <laughs> My mind goes to John Moxley where, you know, after two weeks of him being gone, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, where's John Moxley? Like, I really miss seeing John Moxley right now. Um, so yeah, I just I really enjoyed this question because it's a great example of uh something I wouldn't have talked about on the show unless it uh had come from you guys. So I uh, very much appreciate that. And uh I know um my buddy Mikey, who if you enjoy uh, any of the transitions that you're hearing in the show, um, my friend Mikey does all those. Uh, you can find him everywhere, uh, you know, Bandcamp, Spotify, everywhere else. Uh, listening listener, just all one word is how you can find them. Um, and I know uh, this isn't necessarily, uh, you know, from a, an email, but I know that he wanted me to talk a little bit about, well, you know, a highly anticipated uh, tag team debut. And, um, uh, you know, they already have one of them under contract and, uh, it seems like the other one could be headed there soon. Uh, it's a pretty legendary tag team. That's right. I'm talking about Jesse James and BG James, the voodoo Ken mafia, baby. Um, yeah, the Voodoo Kin Mafia. No, I'm talking about the Hardy Boys, obviously. Although I did just like want to shout out the Voodoo Kin Mafia, uh, just because I had one comment, uh, which was a question, which was just like, do you even watch uh, wrestling? <laughs> uh, which was, you know, like I get some of those from time to time. Uh, but I can just see that this, you know, kid is about 13 years old. <laughs> and I'm like, listen here. <laughs> Do I watch wrestling? Like, I was watching wrestling, you know. I was watching the Voodoo Kin Mafia in TNA, and I was excited to have an alternative to the WWE at the time, believe it or not. Uh, or I should more of say, like, uh, 
I remember this quote from uh, Billy Bragg, who <laughs> is an uh, English political punk singer-songwriter, uh, you know, to where he said, he was like, imagine organizing for, you know, 16 years and electing Tony Blair. Uh, TNA at that point was like, imagine waiting years for a second company with a TV de- deal. And that second company ends up being TNA. <laughs> it was not, it was not fun. Uh, but yeah, shout out, uh, shout out for the Kim Mafia. Um, but yes, the Hardy boys, <laughs> uh, appear to be headed to AEW, you know, from all accounts, you know, they've started this angle where they're clearly, uh, sending Matt in a very different direction, uh, taking him away from that stable, which I, you know, I've never really felt like stable leader has been a good fit for his character. You know, I, I just, I've never really bought that Hardy stable leader. Uh, but the thought of a Hardy boys reunion, wherever it is, and they have many independent dates that are on the books now and are coming together, I've heard. And so, of course, I'm excited about the idea of the Hardy Boys uh, on AEW. And I even saw some reporting that was talking about uh, the thing where WWE tried to get um, Jeff Hardy back. Uh, and they wanted him to do a you know retirement thing in the Hall of Fame with uh, without Matt. Of course, all, everyone listening to this has heard about this. Uh, but the thing that was striking to me about it uh, in the sport I read, and again, I don't remember where this was, but there was just a little uh, tidbit in there of that the WWE is concerned that both Matt and Jeff could be like rejuvenated uh, as a tag team on a tag team run. Uh, and I think that their fear is, I think that was really insightful because I think uh, absolutely uh, the Hardy Boys, who both, you know, in singles competition, uh, to my eyes, you know, have underwhelmed, you know, the past several years. Uh, but yeah, in a tag team as the Hardy Boys in AEW, of course that's going to be great. And you think, I mean, it, you know, we don't need to fantasy book here. The ma- the matchups write themselves. Even thinking about, you know, would they ta- would they challenge one I haven't seen floated out there is would they challenge for the tag titles right away? Because I actually think Jurassic Express, Hardy Boys, What's not to like there? Uh, you know, particularly when uh, that could be a great moment for Christian to get involved. You know, think about all the history there. Uh, sorry, I always do that where I'm like, well, I don't want a fantasy book, but, you know, and then it's like 10 minutes of me doing it. But that's just, uh, you know, what comes to mind. Uh, moving on. Uh, here's one from James. Uh, Blake, tell us something about you that we don't know. Uh, yeah, that's an easy one. I mean, I haven't revealed, I mean, I tend to overshare as you folks may have noticed. Uh, but I, I mean, there's a lot about me that, you know, we're seven episodes in. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more that you're going to find out about this guy. Uh, that's for sure. Um, first, you know, just first and foremost, uh, I do not consider myself to be an interesting person. Uh, but I do consider myself to be a person that tends to have interesting things happen to them. Just to be clear. Um, and that really started from, uh, the moment I was conceived, I'm a donor conceived child. 
Uh, my dad was a sperm donor. Uh, I won't reveal all the specifics, but uh, yeah, my mom is my mom, but my uh, dad, who I thought was my dad, was you know not my biological dad, and I did not find out until I was 13 years old. Uh, my cousin told me uh, in the backyard of a beach house that we were staying in. And uh, since then, it has been a weird thing to make sense of. Uh, thankfully, due to, you know, 23andMe and Ancestry and places like that, I've been able to get in touch with a lot of my half-siblings. Uh, and that's been really interesting <laughs> to hear, uh, you know, how many of us have uh, shared traits, you know. Uh, I'll just put it that way. And, you know, despite not knowing each other until, you know, we're well in our 30s at this point, uh, the specifics of the situation were are actually pretty interesting. There was a class action lawsuit about it that my mom did not get involved in and missed a five-figure settlement check because she thought it was junk mail. Yikes. Uh, uh, but I, uh, it is a weird thing to grow up and, you know, know that your biological father is a stranger. You know, since then... I found out he's a uh, pretty prominent neurologist in the area and, you know, even does a fair amount of, you know, seminars about strokes and things like that. Uh, and we're just watching the lectures, it's like uh, a lot of things that you might not even expect, like my uh, facial mannerisms and my hand gestures and things like that um, are in this man that I've never met before in my life. Um, and my school dad was quite different. You know, he died, uh, literally in a trailer park, uh, with a negative, uh, checking account balance. Uh, I know this because it was the check that he wrote to my wife and I for our wedding that bounced, uh, wedding he did not attend. And, uh, yeah, he was dead, uh, two weeks after we got married. Uh, and then three weeks after that, everything shut down for COVID. So, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy couple years for me, and I'm sure for all of you listening out there too. But something about me that you don't know, that is one of those things. And now you know it, and uh, it's a good foundation, you know? I tend to have a lot of interesting stories, and again, that's not really because there's anything intrinsically interesting about me. Uh, it's really just that I tend to have I tend to find myself in these kind of odd situations uh, that happen. And again, that's even from literally the moment I was conceived. Uh, this is a nice question here. I really appreciated this. Um, what's your, uh, who is your favorite AEW wrestler other than CM Punk? Um, and I'm also going to take some other obvious people that I've talked about off the table as well. Uh, that would include like MJF or John Moxley, who I've just talked about, or Brian Danielson. Um, and I'll say this, you know, and this might surprise many, you know, uh, even my friends, cause it's not someone that I talk about all that much, but, uh, Eddie Kingston, that's right. <laughs> Eddie Kingston, uh, here are your, uh, words of wisdom for the week. Uh, Eddie Kingston, I, as I just said, you're uh, my favorite AEW wrestler. Uh, real excited to see you face off with uh, Chris Jericho tonight. I know you're going to set him straight. Uh, but before then, some, some words of wisdom. Um, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. 
that must be felt with the heart. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. You will face many defeats in life, but never let yourself be defeated. The only impossible journey is the one you've never begun. Life is trying things to see if they work. Life is a lifelong lesson in humility. Life is made of ever so many partings welded together. Life is Eddie Kingston. It's a cold world, as your uh, as your entrance music says. We all love. And Eddie Kingston, I just want to thank you for making my corner of that cold world just a little warmer. Talk to you next week, folks. <laughs>